Welcome to the 1505 Club. First off, let me apologize because we've been having some difficulty with our recording software. We've recorded some great interviews for you, but we're still working to collect all of the audio. We're working this out as quickly as possible, and I promise to bring you those interviews just as soon as we possibly can. In the meantime, today, our guest is Dr. Josh Lawler. Dr. Lawler is a Palmer graduate who practices in Eldridge, Iowa. He's a board member of both the GCSS and GMI, and he has the unique distinction of running the Troxel Intern Program. Today, we'll be talking with him about all of this and more. So without any further ado, Dr. Josh Lawler. Dr. Lala, thanks for joining us today. Hi, right, Dr. David. Could you start off by telling us a little bit about how you personally got into chiropractic and more specifically how you ended up in Gonstead Chiropractic? Yeah, um, my story is fairly simple. I was a chiropractic patient. Uh, my, my whole family was. And interestingly, we were parent, uh, patients of Dr. J. Larry Troxel. And so that was my, my beginning, um, which of course, as a young person, you don't know a ton about chiropractic. You go in and you know, get your adjustments and you like to hear the popcorn and get on the, watch the tables go up and down and all that. And that was pretty much my early experience. Um, I do remember my mom having some serious lower back trouble. I think that's how our family got started. And, and Dr. T was the one that fixed her up. So, and as time went and got through college and started thinking about where I wanted to go, I knew I wanted to do something in service. Uh, I thought about medicine, thought about physical therapy. Uh, chiropractic wasn't on the radar a whole lot. And then um, I also thought about going to school to teach because I wanted to coach. And so uh, from there, I went through uh, Mount St. Clair, got a degree in biology, sat through the MCAT, did some different things. I went out to North Carolina and did some research on chemotherapy drugs, of all things, and realized <laughs> I didn't want to work in a lab. Um, got back to the States, but when I was out in North Carolina, I had some time to think and I, I had at the latter part of my college career had some serious trouble with my low back playing basketball and uh, the guy that fixed me of course was Dr. Troxel and when I went in to see him my mom had called him and said hey how come Josh having so much trouble with his back and she and he very calmly said well Laura he's never here which was <laughs> quite true you know I was a very intelligent person back then and <clears throat> so I would go when I thought I needed things Anyway, I had to practice, laid down on the floor, went to get up off the floor, couldn't do it. You know, my legs weren't working right. I had serious low back pain and it was a hard practice, but nothing outside of reasonable. And it just, that was the breaking point for me. So I had a buddy help me back to my grandfather's house, which is where I was living. And that's when I, I drug my sorry tail into CT and he did like he always did. He just sat me down. He showed me on the x-ray where my trouble was at. He stuck his finger on it, under it and said, you know, feel that right there. That's where this is all coming from. And he said, this is what you need to do. He said, if you, if you get serious with it, I'll get serious with it. And that was pretty much the beginning of the end for me. So when I was in North Carolina, I, I started thinking about that as I was trying to decide what to do. And I watched a little lady limp up the hill. I was sitting there waiting to have a beer with a buddy of mine. And I was taking notes, and so I took a, a napkin and I put down the three products of medicine, uh, surgery, drugs, radiation. Those are their three unique products in healthcare. And then I 
put another napkin and I was going to write down the products of physical therapy and I, I couldn't come up with something specific. And then I, the more I got to thinking about it, and this is probably toward the end of a, of a larger beer, I thought more about chiropractic and I thought, jeepers, I wonder what the exact product is. I mean, I know what it fixed me, but I didn't really understand what it was. And so uh, during that time, I flew back, went to a wedding with my wife, and I actually went down to Palmer and sat in on a discussion Dr. Guy Reekman was given to a group of Palmer students, um, Amy Rue Hamilton, uh, who was a classmate of mine at, at Mount St. Clair, said, you got to come listen to this guy. Just check it out. And she was going through Palmer. So I went down and, you know, it was that one discussion and he went through the process, the body self-healing, self-regulating, chiropractic looks to cause. If the body's functioning the way it should, it should adapt to its environment. And once I had it explained to me exactly what was going on, that was it. And uh, so from there, I jumped into Palmer and here we are. Awesome. Uh, when, when you uh, when you first graduated, when you were in your first couple of years of practice, uh, were there any major lessons that you learned that you think would be helpful for new docs coming out? Oh, boy. How much time do we have, David? I know. Basically, your first couple of years are nothing but learning. <laughs> I yeah. know. You know, I, I think for the new doctor, the most important lesson is that it's okay to make mistakes. Um, we've all heard that. And then after you get into practice, you and I have learned how important it is to know it's okay to make mistakes, whether it's business or even with patients, you know, that's why they call it practice. So probably just understanding that part, um, and then close on its heels is it's okay to make mistakes, but it's not okay to settle for mediocrity. Meaning, you know, T always said, the most important thing you can do is consistently invest in yourself to do a better job. And that's where the Gonstead system, in my opinion, really hails above everything else in terms of being specific in chiropractic. And so you got to get back to seminars. You got to constantly apply yourself to learn and improve uh, our skill and our trade all the time. And that's that, that I think is really important. If you can get those two things, it's okay to make a mistake but always be investing in yourself to do a little better job. I think you'd be all right. Yeah, I agree. I, in those first couple of years, uh, when I would make mistakes, what tends to happen when you make a mistake and you know, you've just kind of messed up or you realize that maybe you don't know where you're going is you start to panic. And then the more you panic, the worse it gets. And, it just <laughs> yeah. compounding. and the one thing that Gonstead gives you is I would just tell myself, okay, calm down, take a deep breath, go back to the system and start working through the steps. So yes. it made it so that I could very quickly get out of that funk that, you know, will just start spiraling out of control faster and faster. And if I didn't have that to stabilize it, who knows what kind of funk you could end up in where you just keep spinning on top of yourself and they're going, I, I know less and less every day. Man, uh, you're, you're, you're dead on. It seems the further you go, the less you know. And I think funk is the perfect term. That that still happens to me today. You'd be sitting there running, you're open, your, your eyes seem to get crossed and you're like, uh, everything's blurry. You can't see nothing. <laughs> And if you just yeah. change something small, maybe you stand them up and watch them walk or you go over and study the x-ray for three, four minutes and then go back and scope or sometimes palpate and then scope or vice versa or pick up a different scope and you, and you break those funks. The system is so fantastic because it's, it's not limited by any one particular thing. They all complement each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
So you are now, um, you're now running the tropical intern program, which is a cool thing. Um, how did you get, um, how did you get in that position? How did you get the opportunity to take over, uh, the Troxel intern program? Dumb luck. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that's the best kind. <laughs> yeah. No, when I went to Palmer, I, I went down just like any student and T never even told me he had an intern program. And I had zero idea of what kind of chiropractic care I really had. Um, Anyway, when I got down to Palmer, went through the normal classes, normal procedures, and then you start getting into different clubs and everybody wants to talk about their, their technique and their, you know, different things that they think you should be involved in. So I'd look around, check a few things. And, and then I started looking more into the Gonstead club. And I remember asking T one time, cause I'd still come out to Parkview and get an adjustment. And I'd ask him, you know, what, what is it with the Gonstead work or the Gonstead technique? And, he said, you know, the Gonstead system is chiropractic being specific. And that he just kept it very simple. He didn't make it any more or less than what it is, but he just, and, and the more I got to know him, he really believed that he felt that if we did our job right, there was no problem chiropractic couldn't solve. And he thought that, uh, number one, if you'd look just technique wise, the Gonstead technique would be the top of the list, but you know, he just. I don't even think he called it just a technique. It was to him a way of applying chiropractic. And he knew that the best that ever lived was Dr. Gonstead. So from there, you know, once I started going through the program, I'd still look at other things, but it was the only thing that made far and away more sense than any other system. And the second thing right behind just making sense is the number of doctors like yourself that were so fluid in applying chiropractic was amazing. It, it was really neat to watch one doctor, you know, scope, palpate, visualize, look at an x-ray, study it and give a specific adjustment and then step right to the next room and watch the same kind of workup on a patient. It was methodical, it was reproducible. And so I knew if it was reproducible, there had to be something to it. You know, they weren't all exactly the same. Some chiropractors were bigger, some smaller. You know, some held their chin up, some held their chin down when they were adjusting, but the nuts and bolts were all the same. And that was fascinating to me. And I didn't, I didn't find that anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I actually have a story about that. I was telling some students this. Um, last October, when we were in Atlanta. We were doing a student workshop and, um, and I was on a tape bench showing a, a student how to do side posture. And then on the bench next to me, somebody else, I believe it was Tracy Gabbert was showing somebody how to do side posture. Mm -hmm. So we had kind of paused for a second and he was showing them the leg setup and he was walking it through step by step by step, the exact same thing. So I told the student next to me, I said, just so you know, I didn't learn this from him. He didn't learn this from me. We learned it totally independently. And yet you can see that it's exactly the same. And I was right. like, that is what makes this work is that it, I learned on the West coast. I know he didn't. <laughs> and yet it's the same. So it doesn't, it, that's the key is it's got to stay the same. And when it starts changing, that's when it's going to start falling apart. But you want to know that two guys who had nothing to do with each other are still learning it the same way. That's what keeps the integrity of the whole thing. Yeah. And that's, that's a credit to credit to all of Dr. Gunstead's proteges that have taught you and me and thousands mm -hmm. of others. I mean, it, that's really remarkable. Yeah. So for anybody who's unfamiliar with the, uh, with the intern program, what, what is it? How does it work? What do you guys do? Um, how does it help the students that are at Palmer? Well, to, to dovetail off that, we lost um, that, that prior question. We lost Dr. T in 2007, and he left us fairly suddenly. 
And so I had already been practicing with him and it was just natural to, to kind of hang out. So those first couple of years, when you ask what kinds of mistakes, my first couple of years of practice, especially after he passed away, I, I graduated in 2005. He, he passed in 2007, very, very blurry. Um, and I get yeah. to have him back for even just a day to sit and watch and pick his brain and, and go through, through chiropractic with him. So I was so spoiled and just like any spoiled child, you don't know what you got until it's not in front of you. Um, so I, I continued on and I, and I do currently direct the intern program. Although I will tell you the intern program is taken care of by a multitude of doctors, uh, in particular in the Gonstead methodology Institute, but not exclusively. Um, and they really, really, really keep kept a close eye on me for still do actually <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> You know, and, and they would gently guide me in ways to make the program better. And uh, really, at the essence of it was to make sure we were guiding the students right. GMI, as well as the intern program, have always been here for the chiropractic student. And that's that's our future. So the, the intern program itself is more structured than you might imagine. Um, we've got, oh gosh, I don't know. I got to look. We got a couple coming on. They're going to take the test. I think we got four graduating. Um, I think so we're probably like around 15 or so interns and it fluctuates up and down, but it's pretty rigorous. They go through a training process. They've got to be at a certain age level in school. Um, they have to have gone through our curriculum of core classes, which is um, technique in terms of cervical chair, knee chest, uh, pelvic bench. Then they've got an x-ray class, a palpation class, with instrumentation, an extremity class, and a case management class, which basically they'll have field doctors come in and go through things. And they teach those classes on Sunday. They'll do two of them, they're both two hours. So they'll be here for total, usually about five hours, but they've got two hour course, then they take a break, and then they do another two hour course. And so they'll teach in two rooms. We've got a technique room, and then we've got a lecture room. And they'll teach two classes simultaneously. So there'll be four classes in the afternoon. And then on Wednesday and Friday nights, they do open workshop, which is just like any Gonstead club out there. You know, they get together a couple times a week and they work for an hour or whatever. On Wednesday and Friday nights, they'll work with the students that want to come out and they can work on x-ray technique, you know, the basic parts of, of the Gonstead work. And then they'll do that from seven to nine. And on Wednesday night before they get started, I'll spend an hour with the interns with Dr. Brittany Cedar, who, who works with us. And we'll set and go through some different topics with the interns, answer questions they got, and then we'll usually do something point specific. So like we might work on chair. Um, the last one we did, we worked on fifth lumbar alone, just doing a transverse contact on the on the knee chest, you know. So that's kind of how the week in and week out works. They always start the trimester with philosophy night. That's kind of their night to pitch the program, um, advertise to newer students who wouldn't know what Gonstead is. Um, or how to go about studying it. I think really to have someone lay out for you how to try to go about studying it is the big thing. And then once a student gets involved, just like me and you, they kind of get thirsty for it. And so they start gravitating to people that can answer questions. They start looking for seminars and workshop opportunities where they can work on their skills, scope, palpate, do a setup, et cetera. Um, so that's the nuts and bolts. And then if someone's interested in being an intern, they go through those coursework. Uh, they've got to sit through a couple of GMI seminars. 
They write, I think, four papers on different topics like SASIN, for example. Um, what are the other requirements? They've got a time requirement. But basically, they just exhaust. And so the beautiful part is this. Once that program got rolling, the intern's job is, of course, to get the prospective interns up to speed to sit the test, which is a written and a practical exam. And once they go through the, the written and practical exam, if they pass, boom, they're an intern. And then they got to turn around and teach the next set of new interns and then the next set. So they've got to repeat that each try that they're around us. And the nice thing is that really ingrains in them the things they know and exposes the things they don't. And honestly, by the, my, my goal is by the time they get out of here, we're trying to get it beat into them enough that there's a huge world in the Gonstead system of chiropractic that you got to constantly be looking for it. Hence why you got to get back to seminars and sharpen your skills. Yeah, there's always something else to learn, it seems like. And um, like for me, as you know, now that after after marrying my wife and getting involved in uh, in um, some of the uh, the dental side of things, I've gotten really big into just oral facial pathology and some of the nervous stuff. And it's like, this is stuff I never even considered before. And now all of a sudden, it's like the only thing I can see, <laughs> get tunnel vision. Yeah. So it's funny how you can get on these things and you're like, this has just become a pet project for me and I want to know everything I can about it. And it, that is, there's no end to that. The body is so amazing and complex. Oh, man, you're no kidding. You could go down a rabbit hole in just about any particular thing. And that's the, that's the other nice thing about reinvesting in your studies and what you're doing. You know, sometimes you get pigeonholed thinking you need to fix everybody in the cervical chair. And all of a sudden you forgot that we can actually set first thoracic or seven cervical on the high, low or the knee chest in many mm -hmm. cases more effectively than we might be able to do it in the chair, you know, but you get yeah. pigeonholed, like you said. So, yep, it's yeah, good. a lot of that depends on line of drive like that. I was trying to explain it to some students because they were asking me, why do you do some in the chair and some over there? And I was like, ultimately, it's line of drive. Do I need to get lift? Do I need to set it forward? Do I need to get depth at it? Like, what am I really trying to do and trying to explain to them that it's more than just move the bone and make a pop. It's right. I need to place this where it goes and I need to be able to tell where it goes. And then I need to have a method for getting it there. And sometimes you get a pop, but you don't get a result. Or mm -hmm. I, you even have it where you do it and the patient's like, wow, that was a good one. In your head, you're thinking, nope, I missed it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I got to change how I did that because I don't like how that just went. And so it's, I always try to tell people, it's not about the sound it makes. If anything, I care about the quality, not necessarily the sound, yeah, but no, that, that's it's really true. about getting that result. Yeah, that is so true. My, my favorite thing along those lines, I remember being in here working with T and on the pelvic bench in particular, once in a while in the chair, but the pelvic bench in particular, you know, he, he could move bones like nobody's business and he could move them so very consistently david that was the thing that i think made mm -hmm. remarkable is he could do he could re reproduce excellence over and over and over yeah. if i get through the day and and i've got you know three or four that i thought that i thought were excellent i'm real happy doesn't mean i wasn't moving other bones through the day but i mean just like really clean what dr gon said we call a hoop in soccer you know and so you'd be watching T and all of a sudden he'd set one and it would just explode, you know, and the patient's almost coming off the table doing cartwheels and somersaults and T, just like you said, he's shaking his head. And, and eventually you realize that wasn't, he wasn't satisfied with that. He knew that wasn't a good correction the way he liked him. 
And then you'd have a patient and they'd, they'd go, did that move? And he'd go, oh, you're going to like that tomorrow. And man, would he be done. <laughs> yeah. It's, what's amazing to me is the difference that one degree in vector can make. Oh. And maybe even a partial degree in vector. Sometimes it's like you move and you're like, that was so, so close. And I missed it by the tiniest hair, but I missed it. <laughs> and I got to get it right the next time. Yeah. now it, I it can be the difference between looking like a rock star and, and walking out like an idiot, you know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned it before. I know like with the, with the Troxel program, you're really trying to combine philosophy, science, and art. And you said you guys even have a philosophy night. What role do you see philosophy playing and, and how does that actually benefit students to be hearing philosophy? Um, and I would even say probably Gonstead philosophy, because it's not just rah, 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 get all pepped up kind of stuff. It's actually a philosophy of health, why this works. How, what role does that play and how does that benefit the students? You, you know, I think it's the essence of the Gonstead work, honestly. And this is the way I look at philosophy. You know, I, I very rarely heard T talk about philosophy, but I would, I would see him shake his head on different things, you know, the rah, rah, rah kind of stuff. The, the thing that really sold me on the Gonstead work was you didn't get a lot of the rah, rah, rah from Gonstead people. Right. Where, where we see the philosophy in the Gonstead work is literally, literally in the work, meaning if you went, let's say you take Dr. Rindle out on the West Coast, if you went in and watched him for a day, if you went in and just watched him, you'd walk out of that office and you would know what kind of philosophy that guy has. You would know he has no doubt that the body's self-healing, self-regulating. You would know that he has every intention of being as specific as he can with his evaluation and adjustment because he knows that the more specific he is, the better the body will do with the impulse he gives. And so to me, philosophy is always review, revealed in your actions, meaning I, I, I don't mind listening to what you say, but if you let me come watch you for a few hours, then I'll make my own decision on what I really think you're doing. And Dr. Troxel was a saint. You know, you can go through how many different chiropractors thousands of them that will open their doors and, and let students and doctors come in and observe what they're doing. To me, that speaks volumes because that's where you really learn where people's commitments are at. You know, if you go in and talk about using an x-ray, if you go in and talk about using a scope and da, 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 but then you go in and you find out, well, they don't put a gown on anybody. Uh, they got x-rays hanging on the wall, but there's no lines on them or they take an x-ray, but really never looked at it. They got a scope, but there's no battery in it. They got a knee chest, but it's tucked under the table. And I'm not trying to pick on my colleagues, but I'm just telling you, you know, that to yep. me, the excellent ones don't do that. The ones that are mm -hmm. at the top that just don't take shortcuts. And, and I've seen guys do extremely high volumes and not cut short. You know, they cut short on the chit chat with patients, but they, uh, they will gown, scope, palpate, reference the x-ray information whether that's off of a card or having the x-ray hang in there and they'll check and scope them with an instrument and, and then they'll do a specific adjustment so to me that is where the philosophy is at and when you look at uh doc's book the the chapters you know the name of the chapters david off the top of your head the 
Science, philosophy, science, and art of chiropractic, or something like that. Wrong. It is guns, chiropractic, Gun. science, and art. That's right. Out of backwards. <laughs> you ever wonder why he left philosophy off of it? Yeah, I never thought about it, actually. You know, honestly, I hadn't either until the last couple of years. And think about when, when Doc was going through school, who was at the helm at Palmer? BJ. BJ. Do you think he had the philosophy? For sure. Yeah, well, and then also his mentor was J.B. Olson, and J.B. Olson learned from Didi out in Oregon. Yeah. So between the two of them, he's getting tons of philosophy. Yes, and if you would have went and watched Dr. Gonston, I just had a chiropractor email me not too long ago. He had a, a actually, I should give you his info. It would be a fantastic podcast, but he, he had a, a spinal fracture at T6, paralyzed him. And he was under Dr. Gonstead's personal care for a month. And, and the one thing that struck me is he said that unless you were around him, you really never got to, got to feel or see how he really was. But he said, the best way I can explain it is if, if you ever heard of being in a Zen state of being, that was Dr. Gonstead, where his surroundings and him just became one. You know, he, he was that invested into the work. And so you think about watching someone like that and you go, does that guy get chiropractic philosophy? Uh, guaranteed he does. There's no doubt in my mind, mm -hmm. but his book, he didn't even put that on the title because he knew at the time he was around when, when Palmer came to Gonstead and said, Hey, uh, we're getting complaints from alumni because they're losing patients. Gonstead's like, well, what's going on? And they said, well, you're so busy. And he says, well, you know, isn't everybody. And the answer was not like you doc. And what people don't realize is that chiropractic came to him and asked what he was doing. He was just doing chiropractic. Yeah. There, was, there was no guns. It wasn't like he was sitting around trying to think up a technique. And, and I believe they came to him twice. And finally, um, you know, it was understood that, you know, I do need to share what I'm doing. And that's how his work got out there. It was not that he was peddling a technique. Chiropractic came to him because he was getting better results doing chiropractic than anybody else. And I think if you think in those terms, it really broadens your appreciation for what Gonstead is. Gonstead is not stand on the right, push right to left, turn it. You know, that's yeah. such a small part of being a chiropractor. And so he got the philosophy, but at, yeah. at the stage of the game, he needed to teach people, listen, there's a science and an art to doing this to get the results that we really need to get. And I think that's, that, that just always struck me in the last few years, the more I've read and read the, the chapters, that was one thing that always stood out was he didn't put philosophy on there. He just has science and art. Mm -hmm. And uh, philosophy does sometimes get a bad rap and I can see why you do that. You know, I had a kind of a, um, I guess a paradigm changing event for me when I was a student, since I went to LACC, we didn't, there was no philosophy. Um, and DE came out to the West in San Diego, Dynamic Essentials. And we thought, well, it's a chance to hear Sid Williams. We never hear philosophy. Let's go out there. It's dirt cheap anyway. So we went out there. <laughs> well, I, I will always remember there was this one speaker, this guy got up and he's pacing back and forth and he's yelling at us. He's like some kind of Southern preacher, just going to town, like screaming and yelling. And he's basically telling us the reason you guys aren't getting results is you're not specific enough. You need to be more specific. Well, as Gonstead students, we're like, yeah, finally, somebody's telling the profession what Gonstead used to tell them. We need to be specific. So he gets done with probably ranting for like an hour. And he's like, when I'm done, I'll be out in the hallway adjusting people and I'll show you what specificity looks like. 
So we're like, okay, let's see what this guy's doing. So we go out in the hallway to see what this guy's up to. And he's doing the flying seven. Mm -hmm. And we were like, wait a second. Like, what do you, you were talking about specificity. And he's like, well, you need to have a specific contact. <laughs> we're like, well, what about a specific adjustment? <laughs> well, that's not necessary. You just need to have a specific contact. And we were like, wait, wait, wait. And that was the first time that I really had to think about it. And it, it, I thought about it probably for days after that going, no, I need to, specificity is in every aspect. And it really kind of changed everything for me. And I realized that even people who aren't specific recognize the need for specificity. And yeah. that kind of tells you something about how important it is. The question is, how do you do it? How do you get it specific? And what's your answer, by the way? <laughs> Gonstead, because it comes all back okay. to the assessment. If yeah. you don't have a specific assessment, how could you possibly be specific? You don't even know what's happening in there. Yeah, my uh, good friend and mentor, Dr. Burns, you know, he would always ask us in class. He talk about BJ say uh, the adjustment with that something extra that's something special and do you know what the answer to that was he'd say what is that it's the assessment it's the analysis the thrust parts the easy part and so i you know i think your observation is absolutely correct there and that's what i mean by you know to me i went and watched and i made the same co conclusion there that you know the philosophy that you're talking about maybe maybe he's applying that the best that he knows how um, but the mm -hmm. thing that you're doing with these podcasts is great because students need to know that there is more and the more precise and specific we can be, the better the patients will do. T's favorite quote or one of them from Dr. Gonstead was he'd say, well, doc would always say, the older I get, the less bones I adjust, the less hard I adjust them. And what's the third thing that happens? The faster. Yeah. The faster they get better, the less you have to adjust faster them. They get better. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, uh, that's the, to me, that's one of the hard learning curves is that at some point you tell yourself, okay, I'm going to commit myself to doing less. So you mm -hmm. do less and they get better faster and you go, that had to be a fluke. <laughs> that can't yeah. possibly be right. So yeah, exactly. you have to really be committed. I'm, do... job. I'm sorry. What was that? I was going to, I was just saying, yeah, that, that couldn't have been right. I couldn't have done that good a yeah. job. Yeah. And you think, no, that, that was just this one patient that won't work every time. <laughs> and then you find that it does. And you really start trying to rein yourself in going, I need to do less. And it's, it can be a challenge when so many patients have a concept of chiropractic, like with medicine, that more is better. And so yeah. they want to do more, more, more. So can you adjust everything this time? Well, that's actually going to make it not work so well. So that can be a challenge. For sure. I think you're dead on there. Uh, so with with the uh, with the intern program at this point in time, um, it seems to be going good and strong. Do you have any kind of a vision for the future? Like, is it going to grow in any way? Or are you going to add other things? Do you guys have anything that you're working on to to do more with it? Or is it good just being what it is the way that it is? Yeah, you know, I don't know if I have any answers on that. Other than <laughs> that, probably one of the other things about the intern program that is unique, because there's a lot of Gonstead clubs throughout throughout the world. Um, the, probably one of the unique portions is the interns all work in our office regular um, and they'll get an opportunity not only to come in and observe how we check and adjust people, but they actually get to interact with our patients. So in the state of Iowa, it's legal for me if I train them how to properly evaluate like a history, 
They can do certain exam procedures, and then they can actually scope the patients, palpate the patients. They can do all those things. Uh, and then when I come in, I'll visit with the patient and then I'll palpate and maybe run the scope where they were checking, et cetera. And then they get a chance to even put the BBs on the skin where they think, for example, fifth lumbar is at. They get to watch them walk or lay them down and figure out the listings. And then they'll watch my CT take the films and then they can look at the films after. So they get to be in an environment that is completely Gonstead working with patients the way they would come into their to their future offices. And so they get to practice. How do they interact with the patient? You know, how do they explain what a subluxation is? Do they connect with them? Do they have any success trying to evaluate them and determine determining what the major thing to adjust on that patient is? And I think that part is is unique in the intern program compared to other Gonstead clubs. So to answer your question, we've, we've been trying hard to help support other areas that the students are, they're hungry for that kind of thing. You know, they want docs that they can go observe and participate. Um, Dr. Jerry out in California, we were just out at Life West and did a one day workshop for those guys. Wonderful group out there. And they, uh, they've got a space that they're thinking about potentially doing an intern program that would work great. And, you know, extra bodies in the office is always busier. That's the way I would term yes. it. Yep. But if you can get it streamlined and, and everybody knows their role and how to, how to do that, it'd be great if we had intern programs at every single school to help support the schools. Yep. You know, the schools want to put out good chiropractors. They, I, I really believe they all do. And we in the Gonstead work, we want to help support that the best we can. So. Uh, my brother Jeff's got a great program going down by Logan. Uh, he'd be a good one to do a podcast with. And there's uh, wonderful groups in Atlanta, on the East Coast, down in Texas. So to me, if we can try to expand anyway, it would be just to support the other groups, you know. And it yeah. really would take, take a doctor to be around. That I think is so important. Yeah, well, and one of the things you have is um, through GMI with the with the with the intern program, you've got great speakers, and um, I I <laughs> I was going to tell you the uh, the videos you have of all the years of teaching going on. Um, I obviously have not listened to the hundreds and hundreds of hours on there, but I started listening to a few, and it was funny to me how quickly I was taking notes of things I had never heard before. But I was like, oh, that's profound. That's profound. And I'm, I could barely, I was taking me forever to get through even one video because I kept stopping to write things down and then write down who, who said it and what they said. Um, and so obviously the program has, has a history of great teachers. Who are some of the great teachers you have now that are, that are coming in and, and what kind of things are they talking about? Oh, boy. Uh, that's a, I such an uh, open-ended question there. You know, each of our each of our instructors, we've got a bigger base of instructors now than we've ever had. And I That's think awesome. it really is. And I and there's not only in GMI, you know, look at GCSS. And I think the Gonstead community at large, everybody that practices the system can be an instructor. Um, and the way that we do that is different person to person. You know, mm -hmm. we have to look for like, for example, when Dave Geary or Dr. O'Hara teach, we have to look for big spaces because <laughs> you put them in a big class and everybody, <laughs> you know, 
Um, I know there's we got one video on that hundred set you were referencing, and Dr. Phyllis is on there, and there's yes. the room's packed, and everybody's looking over her shoulder, and it's black, and there's just an X-ray, and this little lady's up there showing this is okay, this, 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 and that's what you need to do. Um, to me, that's just remarkable stuff, and we just had a case management class. Uh, one of our, our longtime great instructors, Dr. Casper Barr, was in. Um, he stopped in and actually got a, a lifetime achievement award for all of his years of service. Cause the, one of the most unique things about GMI is none of the instructors are paid the mm -hmm. monetary value that GMI ever since I've been around comes in, either goes to support a student group somewhere, which like our group is self-sustaining for the most part. They, they do fundraisers just like other Gonstead clubs, but they'll buy a set of equipment to go down to Logan college or over to Cleveland, um, they'll send students to seminars. The bulk of GMI's seminar uh, earnings over the last several years, or a lot of it, I should say, has gone to the Gunstead Foundation, which takes care of the Gunstead Clinic. Um, one of the most historic buildings in chiropractic, as far as I'm concerned, because very rare does a, a self-standing clinic survive for that long and serve that many chiropractors so um yeah. but instructor wise you know fantastic dave geary does something on neurology when he goes and talks about the disc dr o'hara we've listened to him talk about cord pressure dr rindle was just at the mom you and i were at and had wonderful yeah. discussion on paralysis yeah. so i don't know if that answers your question but yeah. i mean that's a good cross-section for people to see and actually kind of what you were talking about one of the things that i one of the things about the extravaganza that I, that blew me away the first time I saw it and experienced it is that um, the fact that we have so many students come and yet the doctors sponsor the students. So yeah. I don't know if it happens every year, but I know at least one year, no student paid for their admission because every single student was sponsored by a doctor. And if they yeah. if they register early, the chances of them getting sponsored are really good. And I always have students going, hey, if I fly all the way out there, will you sponsor me? Well, yeah, if you'll do that. And we've never had a student leave dissatisfied in terms of if they if they are there and they ask the questions they need to ask and they spend the time they need to spend being active at a seminar, they always go home with their cup overfull and overfill overfilled. It's just yeah. a tremendous experience. So, well, yeah. and that is the thing: the extravaganza so overloads you that you're going to leave knowing you're going to need to come back <laughs> because you're going to get so much. And it just it, and then it, we're always keeping it fresh and new with different things too. So it. That if that was the only thing anybody ever went to, it still would overload you. And yet there's so many opportunities because GMIs does. How many do you guys do a year, like five, six seminars a year? We do five. And we just started doing a new program called Crank It Up, where we're trying to get a couple instructors to the different schools. Um, there's a real good Gonstead Fund Foundation going through um, Inception websites. That's definitely something people should take a look at. If you're a Gonstead doctor and you're paying for a website somewhere, you need to call Inception websites. Talk to Mike and Amy, but they're doing a, a Gonstead website, world-class quality. We check ours out, check out the Troxel intern programs, and it's a hundred dollars a month. And what they are doing is all the proceeds that they donate are going into the Gonstead work. So if you pay a hundred bucks a month for your website that money they're donating into a fund to support Gonstead. So when you guys come to the extravaganza this year, there's already been some updates made in the clinic and I won't spoil the fund now, 
but you'll see them when you get there. Um, and that's part of that, that, what I want to say, they just, they love the Gonstead work. It's in their hearts. That's how they wanted to give back to the profession. So the crank it up program is the same deal. It's going to help get uh, instructors to and from seminars. So that way, if we go like the seminar we just did in, in, at life, we went in the students, whatever they raised, they're going to keep that themselves. And that process is hopefully going to help them get to like the extravaganza. Um, and that's one of the outreach programs GMI is working on right now. And the nice thing is we got a lot of young instructors. So like Dr. Terry Wepner and uh, Dr. Brittany Cedar will be down in Cleveland. Um, Dr. Jeff and Dr. Ron Zilikowski, they're going to go to Logan. Um, we're working to get down to Atlanta by you guys. So it's just, and, and any doctor that wants to help get on board, you just got to give me a call and we're all for it. So let's transition to one other thing. <laughs> you are also the GCSS fundraising committee chairman in our committee of three. <laughs> I, you know, I wasn't there when that vote got, got made. <laughs> so, oh, you weren't, <laughs> you got elected? Yeah. <laughs> you, you were chosen. You're the chosen one. <laughs> um, well, and, and it was only, so only, I guess it was only about a year ago that you and I were put on that committee and mm -hmm. Stacy Aslan wasn't even on it yet. And before that, nobody was on that committee. And so it's kind of weird that GCSS does all these different things. And yet there was nobody actually actively raising funds. And mm -hmm. so since then, we've been pretty active and you come up with some really great ideas and we've done a lot of fundraising this year. Um, so as the as the chairman, <laughs> why why is it so important for us to raise funds for GCSS? What are those funds used for? You know, I, I, that's probably a better question sometime if you do a podcast with Jeannie Taylor. She'd really yeah. be the best one to talk to. I um, do need to talk to her. Yeah, but, you know, it, when we talk about research, they have been doing research, for example, they just had a paper come out and defended some of the uses that we do with x-ray analysis in particular. Um, there's some other really good things in the pipeline that Mark Lopes and Dr. Coleman are working on. And of course, doing any kind of research takes monetary donation or, or monetary funds of some sort. So um, GCSS has really been the group from what I understand for, for a long time now that has led that charge. And there's been some really great things come out of that. Um, Dr. Plogger did a, a wonderful job with the Purple Book. And I think GCSS was supportive there to some degree. I couldn't give you details that again, that'd be for Dr. Taylor. But yeah. Um, you know, we all are in a world of evidence-based, which, you know, I got a whole discussion there, as I'm sure you do. But the reality yeah. is we need to use science in a way to help better understand where we're at and help guide us to where we're going, but not let it be the end-all, be-all. I think we got to be careful with that. Yeah. Yeah. And yet that you're right. That is that is what we do. That's a lot of what we what we do at the GCSS. And so having money to raise funds for doing research. And I think that's the important thing for, for people to know is that when the GCSS makes money, obviously none of us make any money off of it. That money is all put into research and mm -hmm. doing things to support what we do and some of the unique aspects of what we do and demonstrating its validity. And in the case of the x-ray thing, it's not just about saying, yes, this is valid or no, it's not valid. It's actually helping refine what we do so we can do it even better. And I think right. that's the point is we, we are so into specificity 
just knowing that it works is not good enough. We want to know how it works. And is there a way that we can make it work even better? And if we can do that, then we're all in on that. You know, that sounds like something Dr. Gonstead would do to me. From what I understand, you know, he, he didn't practice at the end of his life the exact same way he practiced, let's say, 40 years prior. So to me, I think that's, that's very congruent with the Gonstead work. Yeah, absolutely. So since you uh, teach technique, let's talk just a little bit about technique because students always have questions about technique. And I think even patients do sometimes too, because one of the, probably the most unique thing we do is the fact that we adjust people's necks seated in the chair rather than the face up position that a lot of people are used to. Um, we don't use a lot of the positions they would see on YouTube, <laughs> for example, we do our own thing seated. Um, so the question that often comes is why do you do it in the chair? Why is that a big deal? Um, and then this question that comes from students is how do you do it in the chair? Because that doesn't even seem realistic. So let's talk about the cervical chair. Since you teach a lot of people, what are some of the common, um, common difficulties that you see that can that really help people with having the right mentality towards approaching it? Uh, you know, I think number one, when you talk about mentality has to be the mindset of I can, and I'm going to get this. Um, mm -hmm. Just like a sport, if you go into it with a defeatist attitude, you're going to be defeated from the get-go. And as you know, chair can get frustrating. Even, you know, I've been in practice, what, 15 years now. Um, it gets frustrating for me more regular than I probably would care to admit. But I remember T even, and this, this is one thing I really appreciated about T, is as good as he was and as much as we'd watch him and be in awe, um, he would always comment about how if he could just get a little better at what he was doing and get a little closer to where Dr. Gonstead was at each day, he was happier. He was never satisfied, even to the very last adjustment he gave, that mm -hmm. he knew it all or he was as good as it was going to get. And I think if you got that attitude going into your your technique aspect of chiropractic, you're, you're going to absolutely be okay. And where everybody falls will be different. So when you look at strengths, for example, um, I'm a big guy. I mean, you're, you and I are bigger guys. I'm bigger than you are. And Dr. Cedar, who takes care of me across the hall, she's a petite gal and she does a fantastic job. But there's times where I may work on something on the bench and use a little more strength where she may use a little more speed on the knee chest or use a pull versus a push. Uh, there's a lot of different ways we can apply the Gonstead work in applying chiropractic. And so I think one of the things students need to do is not get too down on themselves. And when you find some strengths and you, everybody's going to have them, some are going to have strengths in, in palpation. Some are going to have strengths in the chair, focus on those strengths, foster those strengths, but don't ignore your weaknesses. What I mean by that is you take like Steph Curry, and, you know, he's, he's probably the world's best three-point shooter. If you took him and said, okay, Steph, you're great at the three-point shot, but we've decided you're now just going to be a post player. Well, that, that, that'd be crazy, you know? So if you get someone that's just a, a, a magical magician on the, on the knee chest and they struggle a little more on the bench, to tell them, well, don't do knee chest for a year would be crazy. Why? Having said that, I guarantee you set, uh, Steph Curry works on his post game as well. And so I think you got to make sure and get your horizon. And there'll be guys that, like Michael Jordan, can do everything and can, can excel in any particular area. So 
uh, it's just all different for everybody. So I think if you go into it and understand you're gonna have strengths, foster those, and you're gonna have weaknesses, work on them and keep your mind positive, they'll be successful. Uh, so like you were asking about the chair, probably the top two things that I'll talk to, and this is what was taught to me is number one, reason we work in the cervical chair is to get lift you know the bone goes posterior and very often inferior in the cervical chair and there's no other place that we can get a better lift to get that correction than in the cervical chair so that's number one um, the number two thing and T talked about this a lot is we have a great amount of control of the patient in the chair so mm -hmm. when when we're adjusting, you know, it's a relationship between us as the chiropractor and the patient. Just like if, if we were going to go and dance, you know, if, if me and my wife go dancing, and this is actually, if you don't take dance lessons, David, this is a great reason. But when, <laughs> you are, when you're on the dance floor, just in case you don't know, the guy is in charge. I get to lead the dance and she has to follow that and read that. Well, adjusting is very much the same way. You know, when we can be in control of the patient, that allows them to better relax. And so when a patient relaxes, gets to maximum relaxation, and we can get all the slack out of the tissue in the angle that we need to set that bone, then it just takes a split second and bang, the adjustment will do its thing. Just got to thrust, lift, and set. So the cervical chair is great in that aspect because we can change so many little vectors if we got to take more rotation out if we got to tuck their chin bring their chin up drop their shoulder uh, it's got a lot of variables that we can change the dangerous part about the chair as you know is there's a lot of variables and we can very easily do things improperly so um, those would be the top two things get the lift and patient control so we can help them relax to make the proper adjustment. Uh, I'll make a confession about one of my bad habits. When I was a student, we had like two actual cervical chairs in our club and neither one had a strap on it. So I got used to never using the strap. And then one day after I graduated, I was watching videos. It was probably much after because it was after YouTube was invented. So I was watching YouTube videos of Dr. Gonstead and noticed that he always used the, the strap. And I said to myself, if Dr. Gonstead wasn't so good that he didn't need the strap, I should probably be using one too. <laughs> so I started using the strap and immediately discovered what a different stimulation makes. And so I often tell students, the key to getting good adjustments when you're not very good is maximizing stabilization. And that strap helps a ton with it. So for anybody who's struggling, if you're not using a strap, put a strap on. And you'll especially notice that um, upper thoracics and atlas in particular makes a huge difference to get more stabilization. A huge difference. And the strap, T.I. said that you want that strap nice and secure. Where it will help you the most is actually at the beginning of the setup because that's mm -hmm. where most slide or translation would take place. And as, if they're secure you can get into that joint a whole lot more specifically and with less motion of the patient's body and therefore you have to hit it or adjust it less hard. Um, mm -hmm. Dr. Troxell's favorite quote, and I hate to ruin this for anybody that would come to one of our seminars, but he would always ask, what are the top 20 things that are done wrong in the cervical chair? What do you think the first one is? I have no idea. 
you just said it stabilize oh stabilize okay well that yeah. makes sense it, <laughs> it was always yeah. the biggest problem <laughs> absolutely and then he'd say you know what the second biggest thing is hmm not a lot different than the first one i don't know probably a poor contact i don't know stabilize oh and then stabilize <laughs> and guess what the third one was Stabilize. And now you're getting the idea, and and that he would that was always how he would address a cervical chair I, seminar. To get I've never overstated it that much, but that's so right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I really think that in the end, that's always it. Like they're always students always want to ask me about their contact hand, their contact place, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking I can guarantee you your biggest problem is your stabilization or lack of it, because putting your finger in the right spot and getting a solid contact and thrusting aren't really that challenging. Getting good stabilization and maintaining it, that is challenging. Yeah. It's the biggest challenge. Lots that occur there. And I don't know how you are, but I'm a better cervical adjuster with my left hand because I'm right-handed. Because yeah. um, now the right hand is on the stabilization and I can do things with my right hand stabilizing that I just have never developed that kind of coordination in my left hand to be able to pull it off. That's absolutely true. You find that with most doctors, their dominant hands, the better stabilizer. So they'll adjust better with their non-dominant hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause then it's just a hammer and a nail. Who could mess that up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. I, I really appreciate it. This has been a great conversation. I think we've covered a lot of really good stuff and um, it kind of highlights some stuff for me because for me being in school, I didn't really know much about the Troxel intern program. Actually, for a lot of school, probably never even heard of it. Then found out about it and thought, man, that's awesome. I wish we had that here in L.A. And then since then, I've just kind of seen them. I'm often amazed at how often I'll find doctors in the practice who are really good, who will then mention, oh, yeah, I was a Troxel intern. I'm like, yeah, they seem to be a leg up on everybody else coming out because they get a good advantage. Yeah, there, there's so many great chiropractors out there and, and the intern program still does and always has been a good part of putting some good ones out. The essence has always been to serve, to give back. The one thing T would always say at a seminar too, and I, you would always teach, uh, what do I want to say, passively, uh, passive aggressively, you know, he'd let you figure out the answer, but he'd say <laughs> when Gonstead fixed him up at the seminar and, and then he'd go, he had to go stay for a few weeks or for nine weeks, actually, um, that's a different story, but he said, well, how do I pay you back, Doc? And Doc said, no, you just pay that forward. And I think that mentality really reverb, you know, ripples throughout chiropractic, not just the Gonstead work. Chiropractors are always so willing to give to other people. And I think that's really the key part there. Yeah, I think that's one of the keys, too, because we're not just saying that we love specificity and all this kind of stuff. We have so many people who are so willing to teach it. Um, so eager to teach it. And so if somebody wants to learn, there's no, there's no difficulty finding the people who know and will teach. And um, as some of the names you've mentioned, we've got some really great ones who do a great job teaching all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And, and your podcast, David, is a great example of that. Just to take the initiative to go out and start doing stuff like that's tremendous, tremendous benefit to chiropractic. This is my chance to learn. <laughs> I get to ask my questions and I get to learn. So it's awesome. It's what I always wanted. I love it. You know, you know, confessions of a chiropractor. That's one of the great benefits of being in the intern program here is I'm in the middle of so many things just, you know, and all, all it was, was dumb luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And yeah, this, it's the greatest. Yeah. It's so awesome. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, David. Appreciate your time. All right. You bet. We'll talk to you later.
Yes, sir. I'd like to thank Dr. Josh Lawler once again for joining me today. That was a great conversation, and I hope everyone was able to get something valuable out of it. Now, if you're a chiropractor or a student, I want to recommend to you once again that you attend the Gonstead Extravaganza at the Gonstead Clinic in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin, April 25th to 26th, and there will be a special session just for students on the evening of the 24th. I also want to bait you with a really cool event that we're working on for the seminar. Josh Lawler came up with this idea, and he, Stacy Aslan, Kristen Fellows, and myself are currently working to create this experience for you. At the seminar, we will have an auction where you'll be able to have the opportunity to purchase one hour of one-on-one -on -one instruction with one, with one of our great chiropractors. The list of people who will be up for auction includes Dr. Rick Elbert, David Geary, Dan Lyons, Denny O'Hara, Lori O'Hara, Stephen Rindle, David Rowe, and Pam Troxell. But wait, that's not all. The one-on-one -on -one workshop will take place in Dr. Gonstead's garage at the clinic, which still contains one of his Cadillacs. Oh, and one more thing. We have Dr. O'Hara's four-camera system, which means that we will be able to record the entire thing for you to take home and review as often as you like. I should also mention that there are multiple time slots, which means there will be multiple winners. All bidding begins at $100, so start saving now and plan to come to Mount Horeb in April for a life-changing experience. Next week, we'll be talking to Dr. Danny O'Hara, and I can promise you, you are not going to want to miss it. We'll be talking about the disc and the scope, and I can guarantee you there will be a lot to learn. I was even taking notes while talking to him. So until then, we'll see you next time.